0: Amen, amen. We're going to get our Bibles out. We're going to get right into it today. We're calling this Vision Sunday. As we began this year, I really sensed the Lord speaking to me strongly, wait on me. I said that in the previous Sundays, wait on me. And so what we've done for the last several weekends, beginning this year, is we've just looked into the New Testament at the first century church. We said, God, what, is the, what does it look like to live out the mission of the body of Christ? And we've been saying, God, speak your heart to us. And I really felt like the Lord needed us to start there, to just prioritize our hearts and our lives as a church. But today, we're calling this Vision Sunday because this is the opportunity for me to give you a word that God has spoken to me for our church for this year. So we're about to pray one more time before we get into the message. And I wanna ask you to join with me and just open your heart and say, God, I wanna receive a word from you. This is why I've been waiting. This is why I've been seeking. This is why I've been running after your heart. God, give me a word that is gonna give direction in my life in this year. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that I have right now to break open the bread of life and to feed your sheep. Lord, I'm reminded often when I do this of your words. You said, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of saying is saying to the church. So God, I'm not just asking for your anointing upon my lips, but God, let your anointing rest on the hearer today. God, speak to us. Guide and direct and order our steps for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. <coughs> amen. The word that God has spoken to me for this year is a word of clarity. It's a word that I believe is gonna bring things into context in our lives, but it's also a word of caution. And you'll understand why in a moment. I believe this word is a word that calls for present action and also future anticipation present action because we are to be mobilized as the body of Christ. But sometimes we can be so fixated on what's happening in the here and the now that we forget there's a bigger story that's playing out. And so it's a word that calls for future anticipation. This is a right now word, but it is also a not yet word. And hopefully throughout this message and throughout this year, you'll begin to understand even more what I mean when I say it's a word for right now and not yet. The word that God has spoken to me for our church in 2020 is kingdom. Kingdom. I said kingdom is a word of clarity, and the reason I said that is because we live in such a self-centered culture. We live in in a world that is so easily consumed with, with our own little world and what's going on in our lives and what's going on in 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 our family, that it's easy for us to lose perspective on the kingdom of God. There is a kingdom that is at work among us. <clears throat> and that story, that kingdom, has been playing out throughout all human history. And so when all of a sudden we look at our plans and our life and our problems, and we look at it in the in the perspective of what God has been doing throughout the course of human history, we become kingdom-minded. Then all of a sudden, what can happen is we begin to discover that not only does God have a purpose that is unique and timely in my life, but my little purpose and my little issues have a place in the grand scheme of what God is doing for his kingdom purposes. Understanding the kingdom of God will help you to get up every day and recognize I have a purpose. I have a plan. And it's in those moments that you need clarity when you get overwhelmed with what's happening and you can start to feel like the the world is kind of closing in or or the rug's being pulled out from under that You can say, wait a minute, God's kingdom is at work here. God's throne has been established. Nothing is shaking the kingdom of God today. I can promise you God's not up in heaven wringing his hands. So understanding the kingdom of God gives us clarity. But it's also a word of caution. Hear me today. I believe this thought of the kingdom of God needs to be a word of caution, not just to our church, but to the church in America. Every one of you are well aware that 2020 is an election year. It's a year where there's a lot happening socially and culturally it seems like our society has lost their proverbial minds when it comes to politics am i alone in that it seems like we i mean it's no longer about differences of opinions we we can't call it that anymore it's not difference of opinion it is absolute hatred And vitriol for anyone who thinks differently than you, votes differently than you, has a different opinion than you. It is such a toxic and polluted culture that we're living in politically. Here's the caution. If the church is not careful, we will allow ourselves to get stuck in the quagmire of politics and get so entrenched in the fighting that's going on in the nation, we'll forget we're not supposed to build a president, we're supposed to build a kingdom. It's a word of caution to the church that we remember what it is that God has called us to be a part of. I want to tell you today. Contrary to what you might learn watching the evening news, it is possible to disagree and not be divisive. It is possible to disagree disagree and not live your life in division with other people. Can I just say to you today, the kingdom of God is not Republican. The kingdom of God is not Democrat. Kingdom of God is not about an elephant. It's not about a donkey. It's about a lion. It's about a lamb. It's about Jesus Christ who sits on a throne that is forever established. Amen. I thank God for for America. Don't, Don't mishear me today. I thank God for this nation. But God, help us that we don't forget that his kingdom is so much bigger than our short little stint of a couple hundred years being the greatest nation. And I do believe it's the greatest nation, but we're a blip on the map. As he opens the scrolls, as he has the story of human history, our little, our little moment in the sun pales in comparison, and I can promise you, God is not taking his cues from America. God is not building his kingdom based on what happens in our church or in our culture or in our politics. God is going to continue to advance the kingdom. He's going to build his throne. In fact, there's a verse in Zechariah chapter 4, in verse 6, that says this. He says how it's going to happen. He tells Zerubbabel, The Lord says, It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says, the Lord God Almighty. That's how God's building the kingdom. Not by by might, not by power, not by politics. It is by His Spirit, says the Lord. And I refuse to let what happens in America in 2020 distract me from building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Anybody with me on that today? You know what that means when we say we're not building this by power or might, but by the Spirit. It means that we're not depending on favorable circumstances. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that, church. We're not depending on having favorable circumstances. We don't need things to fall our way to build the kingdom. Have you read the New Testament? Have you read how the kingdom of God advanced under great persecution I mean, last year, I got to go and stand in the Roman Colosseum. I got to see where the trap doors were that they would lift and let the lions come running out into the arena to eat Christians alive. We don't even know how to spell persecution in America. I mean, come on. Getting blown up on Facebook is not the same thing as what we read about in Hebrews 11 when it says some of them went around destitute, hiding in caves and hiding and dressed in goat skins, and some of them were burned at the stake, and others were sawn in two, and others were uh, torn asunder by horses. And you know what? Through all of it, the kingdom of God advanced. We're not looking for favorable circumstances. The kingdom of God does not depend on an election cycle. It's not by might, nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's a word of caution to us as a church. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. He said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Come on, how many of us, you've heard enough talk. The kingdom of God is about power. <coughs> it's the power of the Holy Spirit. How about we just make up our minds right here in January that this year, that the theme of this year is not gonna be determined by the headlines, that the theme of this year is not gonna be determined by the news cycle, that the story of 2020 is gonna be a story about the kingdom of God advancing, that for us, 2020 is gonna be a year about the glory of God. The Bible says in Philippians chapter three and verse 20, we have a citizenship, but it says, our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. That ought to influence us. You know, when you have the opportunity to travel, and I know many of you have, outside of the country, what happens is all of a sudden you become very aware of the reality of American culture. I mean, you think you know American culture while you're in America, but go outside of the United States, and all of a sudden, you recognize, wow, the world doesn't operate like we operate. I mean, pe- people are different. My wife and I, we, we were over in Italy last year. We were shocked at how close people like to stand to talk to you. I was like, you people, you don't understand personal space. They don't. I mean, they're like in your face. Or It cracks me up how we can be so, so kind of blinded to, to culture. It's like when, you know, you take a trip down to L.A., Lower Alabama, and you hear their accent, and and you go, wow, you people talk, you talk funny. They go, how y'all doing? And You go, man, you people talk funny, right? They have an accent, right? (coughs) And then you you know, you get up here, you don't even recognize how crazy some of your Pennsylvania Dutch statements are. You skice. Talking about Ewan's redding up the room and huh. all your funny little, it's, it's just normal, right? You don't have an accent. They have an accent. I've lived in both places, and I can tell you, you've, you're influenced by culture. And can I say, it ought to be the same in the kingdom of God, because we are kingdom citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our habits ought to be influenced by the culture of the kingdom of God. <coughs> Our our priorities ought to be influenced by the kingdom of God. Our values ought to be influenced by the kingdom of God. I want to promise you today, God is not taking his cues from American culture. He's not waiting to see how things play out to decide what he wants to do. In fact, there's there's a picture of this in the Old Testament very clearly that shows us what it looks like when we bring our perspective into confrontation with the Lord's. It's in the book of Joshua, chapter (coughs) 5. Joshua 5, Joshua is the leader of the people of Israel, and Moses is dead, and now he's moving forward to take the promised land. He's moving towards Jericho. So his battle senses are heightened. He's He's on high alert. He's checking the pulse of the people. Are they afraid? Are they excited? Are they fearful? Are they ready? He's he's measuring up the enemy. Are they strong? Are they too big? Are there any weak points that we can take them? And it's in the context of this atmosphere. It says in Joshua 5, verse 13, Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, again, this this is battle atmosphere. And now Joshua sees someone that looks battle ready, facing off with him with his sword. And so Joshua cuts right to the chase. He needs to know the most important thing in this moment. And he asks this question Are you for us or for our enemies? I gotta say, when I read that, that sounds just like the United States of America today. That's the question at every water cooler, it's the the argument on every news cycle. Who are you for? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And we're drawing battle lines on every side. And Joshua is saying, I just need to know, are you with me? Or are you? Or You can't be both. We can't get along if you're not with me. I need to know. Swords are out here. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Look at verse 14. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Can I tell you, if we're not careful, church, we can be so caught up in the battle lines that are being drawn all around us that we can make the very same mistake that Joshua made. See, I believe, like many scholars, that this is a theophany. A theophany is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. This is Jesus standing before Joshua. And if we're not careful, we can get so distracted by all of the the fighting that's going on around us that we can have Jesus, the commander of heaven's army, standing before us and we don't even recognize his presence. And we want to know who are you for? Are you for us or are you with them? And can I tell you his answer for us is the same as it was for Joshua? Neither. I'm not here to take sides, I'm here to take over. I'm not here to build a governmental structure. I'm here to build my kingdom. And he said, I'm for neither. I stand here as the commander of the army of the Lord. And then look at what happened. It says, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence, and he asked him, what message does my Lord have? For his servant. I pray God, give us eyes to see beyond the battle lines that are being drawn around us. And I'm not just talking about on the national stage, I mean, even in your own life, I mean, even in your own heart, even in your own marriage even in your own uh, workplace. God, give us eyes to see beyond the battle lines that are drawn, to see the commander of the army of the Lord that stands before us and says, I'm here to build my kingdom. And that we would respond the way that Joshua responds. That we would humble ourselves. That we would fall on our face before God the way that Joshua did. Posture of humility. Here he is, the great commander of Israel's army, swords on the ground, faces down, and he asked this important question. He said, what does my Lord want his servant to do? I want to challenge you to let that be your prayer today, that you would be able to say to the Lord, God, this is your kingdom you're building. I'm not going to get caught up in all of the battle lines that are being drawn. God, you're the king of heaven's army, and and I just need to know today What do you want your servant to do? In 2020, we need to hear from God. We need to hear from God for our church. We need to hear from God for our families. We need to hear from God for our nation. We need to hear what God is saying about his kingdom. You know, the word kingdom, it shows up 162 times in the New Testament. As God began to make this word come alive in my spirit and I started to study it out and, and I started to, to read about the kingdom, it wasn't a couple hours into it. I got to be honest, I started to feel a little bit embarrassed because when you realize how much the Bible is about the kingdom, we ought to be preaching about it every Sunday. I started reading it saying, oh my goodness, how can we miss? How can we miss the kingdom? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Let me tell you about a man named John the Baptist. I told you about Joshua. Let me tell you about John. In the New Testament, John was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the one to prepare the way of the Lord. In fact, Jesus said this about him. Jesus said, John is the Elijah who was prophesied to come. So John is the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. Another Old Testament prophet, besides Isaiah, who said that was Malachi. In Malachi 3 and verse 1, the last prophet to speak before the Old Testament closed, and we have 500 years of silence, and then John steps on the scene. So 500 years before John, here's what the Lord said through Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then, suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he says that verse was written about John. Jesus said that. Malachi 3.1 is about John. John is going to prepare the way for the kingdom of God. How is he going to do it? How is he going to prepare the way for Jesus? If, If he has that role, what did John say? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Wow, what an important role. I wonder what John preached. Next verse, he was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John was preaching. About the kingdom. That was the message that was to prepare hearts for Jesus to come. You know what else Jesus said about John? Over in Matthew 11, Jesus said this He said, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, last time I checked, every man was born of woman except Adam. And so Jesus is saying, Every man who ever lived is less of a man than John. John's the greatest. John is the greatest man who ever lived. But listen to what he says next. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. What is he saying? Jesus is saying the blessing and the benefits of having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is so much greater That even the the least Christian, I mean, even the one that you you expect is just gonna get through the pearly gates by the skin of their teeth. I mean, they're just they're saved, but they're just barely saved. I mean, (coughs) don't look at them. But you know what I'm talking about. Jesus says, that guy, that girl, is greater than John. He's greater than John. You know why John was the greatest? John was the greatest because out of all the prophets that prophesied and said, there's a Savior that's coming, there's a Messiah that's coming, there's a Deliverer that's coming, John was the only one who was able to make that same prophetic utterance and then turn and point his finger at Jesus and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Nobody else could be that specific in their prophecy, no one else had that same level of revelation. <clears throat> John said, repent, the kingdom of God has come near. And when he turned and he pointed his finger at Jesus and said, behold the Lamb of God, the message changed from behold the kingdom of God is near to behold the kingdom of God is here. Because how many of you understand when the king walks in, the kingdom just showed up? Come on, there's no greater representation of the kingdom than the king himself. And Jesus came on the scene. Let me tell you about Jesus for a moment. More than anything else, the kingdom of God was the primary focus of Jesus' teaching. Again, it's it's amazing. Just Just go and read the stories. Read the parables. Read the sermons and see how many times Jesus began by saying, the kingdom of God is like. A man who went out to sow. The kingdom of God is like a man who bought a field. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Over and over and over again, Jesus' primary focus of his teaching was that we would understand the kingdom of God. And as John prepared the way, there was a a shift. And it came in Matthew chapter 4. John had been arrested. He would lose his life. He would not be delivered from that prison. He was arrested, and it says in John, or Matthew 4, verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to, to Galilee. <coughs> so Jesus leaves the city. He gathers his disciples around him. It's time. The forerunner has run his race. Now John's in prison. It's time for Jesus to really come on the scene. Down in verse 17, it says this, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Well, what did Jesus preach about? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near That ought to wake us up this morning. I mean, if if Jesus is finally stepping onto the scene in the fullness of time, God has sent his son into the world to be the savior of the world, and this is that moment, and this is that time, and Jesus is about to preach. Whatever he preaches, we ought to underline it. We ought to circle it. We ought to highlight it. We ought to keep coming back to it because what Jesus is saying in this moment is this is my purpose. What did he preach? The kingdom of heaven has come near. <coughs> In John chapter 3 verse 16 we get a picture of the gospel. Many of you could quote John 3:16. It's a great scripture to memorize because if you can memorize that one verse, you can pretty much explain the plan of salvation. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. What a lot of people, even people that have memorized that verse, don't realize is that that verse was in the context of a conversation where Jesus was explaining the kingdom. Go with me to the first verse in John chapter 3. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus is like every other Pharisee of his day. He's looking for the kingdom of God. He's read all those Old Testament prophecies. He's looking for a king. He's looking for a conqueror. He's looking for a governmental leader to, to usher in a revival in their day. And this Jesus doesn't sound like what they thought he was gonna sound like. and He doesn't act like how they thought he was gonna act. But, He said, we see the miracles you're performing. No one could perform the signs you're doing if God wasn't with him, which, by the way, is why we still pray and believe God for miracles. Because miracles are a sign. It's it's an authoritative stamp of the Holy Spirit on what we're saying. God's word is true. And he said, you're healing people. I mean, blind eyes are opening, lame are walking, the mute are speaking. The deaf are hearing. So we're trying to figure this out. And, and Nicodemus doesn't even ask a question. I mean, he, he's got a question, but he hasn't even asked a question. He just, said, <clears throat> he just said, we know you're a teacher that comes from God because you do miracles. And I love this. Jesus just goes right to the question. He, a- he answers the question that Nicodemus hasn't even asked yet. Look at verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We often use that phrase, born again, in the church, talking about somebody that's been saved, somebody that's a Christian. We say, well, they've been born again. We got that from Jesus. That was his phrase. Jesus said, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, listen to how far removed this religious person was from understanding the kingdom of God. Look at the next verse. Here's Nicodemus' response. How can someone be born when they are old? <laughs> I mean, can you just imagine what's going through Nicodemus' mind, like the mental pictures going through his mind when Jesus says, you got to be born again. He goes, but I'm old. What? He He didn't understand at all what Jesus was saying. Surely, he says, they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I mean, surely that's not what you're saying. And Jesus says in verse 5, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Look at the next verse. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying, it's not enough that you're you're born into the right family. Not just born of water, but born of the spirit. When you were born in the flesh, we knew it was time for you to be born because the water broke, and you were born. And here's Nicodemus, a devout Jew who believes that the God of heaven is the Jewish God. He's the God of Israel, and he's only for them, and he's against everybody else. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what family you were born into, Nicodemus. It, it doesn't matter what your, your lineage is or, or what your pedigree is. None of that matters. you got to be born not just of the water, but you got to be born of the Spirit. you got to be born again. Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians when he said, if anyone... Is in Christ. He's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. It's new life. And Jesus is telling this religious leader if you're gonna be a part of the kingdom, you have to be born again. Can I tell you today, church, more than anything else in 2020, I wanna see people come into the kingdom. I wanna see more people born again. I wanna see people come into the kingdom at this altar. More than anything else, I want to see people find access into the kingdom of God through those doors. Because that's what God is doing. He is building His kingdom. And can I just tell you, there's a lot more people to reach. There's a lot more people to reach. You know, it's funny. All of us, we have comfort zones, we have comfort levels. And, and I learned a long time ago that nobody likes a packed house but the preacher. People like to go to church like they go to the movies. Elbow room. Get away from my cup holder. You know what I mean? Like you, you want space. Nobody's excited about the movie when there's no seats left. And we're that way with church sometimes. And even though we can get comfortable with the way things are, the reality is every one of us knows somebody that we wish was here this morning. Isn't that funny how we can, well, you know, I like things the way they are. I'm comfortable with the church the size it is, but I wish my cousin would get saved. I mean, I'm glad the way everything is, you know. It's just, it's just my cup of tea, but I sure wish my kids and my grandkids would come to church. How many of you know there's a dying to self that has to happen when we become kingdom-minded? When we start to realize this is, this is not about me. This is about building the kingdom of God See, if it was about having a full house and just feeling good about our attendance, we checked that goal off the list a few years ago. It was packed in here every Sunday. And if that was the goal, then we could have just kept having good church until Jesus comes. We could have been happy with ourselves, but it was about the kingdom. And so we decided we're going to start a second service. And we started a second service, and we got pushed back. <laughs> from all the leaders going, oh, man, that's going to take a lot of volunteer. I mean, it's going to take more more time and more workers, and the worship team's going to have to come early and stay long. And, but you know what? We leaned into it. All of you leaned into it, and as a church, we said, you know what? We'll, we'll do it. We'll make it happen. We'll, I, I'll sign up. I'll serve I'll serve one service, and And then I'll come worship the next one. Some of you, you were serving at 9 a.m. And now you're in here and you're getting to hear the message for the first time because you were already somewhere else making room for somebody else. But it's about the kingdom and it's about saying, God, I'm willing (coughs) to do whatever's necessary to see people come in to the kingdom through our doors. See, God showed me several years ago that he was going to use us to build his kingdom right here. And then we were gonna maximize our resources by staying organizationally lean and light for as long as possible. That thought came into my mind. I said, God, what does that look like? What does it mean? And at that time, we we didn't even have 100 people. God said, that means you're not gonna be too quick to start knocking walls down and expanding or, or buying new property. You're not gonna do that. This church is gonna be 350 strong in this building. Said, wow, God, that, well, we can't, I mean, 150 feels kind of tight on Sunday. What's that going to look like? Well, obviously, you're going to have to do church more than one time. It's going to be multiple services. And where we stand as a church today, I, I, I can't tell you with 100% accuracy what, what it looks like moving forward. But I know God has told me this is going to be a church of 350 in this building probably have a little over 200 today. I believe our youth ministry is gonna be 50 students. We've seen such incredible growth in the last year. We had about 30 students. This isn't even a big, prayer. this isn't even a faith statement. This is just gonna happen. We're gonna have 50 students in our youth ministry. Back when Pastor Chris first started taking over the youth ministry, I told him, I said, you know, (coughs) I've read studies that, that have said, you know, if you're going to have a healthy youth ministry, it ought to at least be 10% of the size of the church. So, hey, if we're a church of 200, let's shoot for 20 kids. Well, 50 kids is only 15% of 350. I I don't know. I was thinking this weekend about what God wants to do in the church, and I remembered a conversation I had two two weeks ago with one of the men in our church. God's stirring his heart to start a recovery program. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be awesome if we just started seeing this building fill, fill up in the middle of the week with people that are trying to be set free from bondages and addictions. I started thinking about all the young adults that God has brought into this church in the last year. I thought, Who knows? I might think God's going to do it one way. We might have some incredible movement of young adults that breaks out on a weeknight. We have another hundred people showing up in the middle of the week. But what I do know is this, there's something in me and there's something in you that has to die. There's something that has to say, God, I want to be about building the kingdom. I want to be about advancing the gospel in this year. You know, this year at at Easter, we're already putting plans in place to launch a new discipleship track. We're going to launch a grow series at Easter. And the reason we're going to do that is because we recognize that God didn't call us to go out and make converts. He called us to make disciples. And, and maybe you've noticed before, but spiritually speaking, it's very similar to what it's like in, in your natural life. Babies can be messy. <laughs> Have you noticed? I mean, you start getting a lot of people saved and they don't know what to they don't know how to act, they don't know what to do. I love it, but it will mess your life up. I mean, I just talked last night to Tim Zimmerman. A couple weeks ago, our ladies' ministry, they, they hosted a, a baby shower for Tim and Ashley for their first, first little baby they were expecting. And just this last Thursday, Ashley gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby girl. And so excited for them. And I called Tim last night. Uh, just to see how they were doing, and he said, "We're home. We just got home today." He said, "In fact, I'm I'm sitting on the couch. Little Edith May is sleeping on my chest, and my dog is laying up next to me. <coughs> he keeps wanting to lick her, so bad." And I said, "Man, your life is different now, isn't it?" He goes, "Yes, <coughs> that's true, isn't it? I mean, you bring a baby home. It's not like..." Eh. We'll just go back to the way things were. No, you won't. You never will. Even after they leave, right? (laughs) It never goes back to the way it was before before you had kids. God's calling us to, to see people born again, to see them have new life in our church. And so we're preparing In March, as a church, we're going to launch into life groups, and we're going to talk about what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Some of you are going to invite people to to sit on your couch and together around your table. You're going to do life with them and encourage them and strengthen them in their faith because it's about the kingdom of God. Last Sunday, after this 11 o'clock service, we had a Connect in 60 lunch for just new people to come and find out more about getting involved. We had over two dozen people stayed and ate with us and said, we believe this is the place God's sending us. We're ready. We're ready to get involved. We're ready to serve. We're ready to be a part of the church. That means we're making room for people. We're giving other people opportunities to discover their gift and use them for God's glory. Last year, we had over 70 households that filled out those Connect cards Pastor Chris talked about earlier many of them people that have been connected with us and gotten involved in the church. <clears throat> we can't take our foot off the accelerator. We can't get distracted by the battle lines that are being drawn around us in our nation and in our community. And We can't close the shutters and close our heart at the same time and say, let's just have an hour and a half of peace. Let's just retreat from the world and and let the church, just hold the fort. I hate that old song. They used to sing, hold the fort till Jesus comes. I don't want to hold the fort. I want to advance the gospel. I want to attack hell with a squirt gun. What do you mean hold the fort? Come on. There's some great hymns, but there's some some that we should forget too. I'm sorry if you like that hymn. I don't want to hold the fort. I want to storm the gates of hell. That's what he's called us to do. See, we need to have a kingdom perspective. A kingdom perspective starts with seeing how God sees you in the kingdom. The word of the Lord says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. Did you know your royalty in the eyes of God? That's the kingdom perspective. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special Possession. And if that starts giving you like goosebumps and you feel good about yourself, that's awesome. But that's not why he calls you that. Look at the rest of the verse. The reason he calls you that is so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. <clears throat> we are called a royal priesthood. A kingdom perspective. We see it in Revelation chapter 19. Verse 16, it's not a picture of us, but it's a picture of our king. And it says about Jesus, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who he is. And can I tell you, if he's the king of kings, who do you think the kings are? That's you. That's me. We're the royalty of God. He's the king of kings, and he's called us to have dominion in his name. When John the Revelator got to peek behind the curtain and see the worship that was happening in Revelation chapter five, and we read it and we sang about it earlier, the word says, they were singing this song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's you. That's me. That's the church. And it says you made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God. And they, you, will reign on the earth. See, this kingdom is now, but it's not yet. But there's something to get excited about. There's something to begin to build towards. God wants to birth his kingdom in your heart and in your life. Now I'm going to ask our worship team to come back and they're going to begin to just play. And in a moment they're going to sing a song. But I want to invite you today to just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart for a moment. I want to invite you to pray the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, they asked him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said this in verse 9. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, he was saying, when you start praying, you look up to heaven And you see who God is. He's holy. Hallowed be your name. He's holy. Like they sang in Revelation, he's worthy. He's worthy. He's holy. And then he said this, you pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Can I encourage you to pray that way today? To pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Let me just ask you, church, where do you think the will of God is going to be done in the earth? I mean, I'm not holding my breath for Washington. How about you? His kingdom come and his will, it's not being done in the Senate. It's not being done in the school system or are on the campuses of our universities where is his kingdom coming and his will being done in the earth as it is in heaven it's through the church it's right here it's through the citizens of the kingdoms it's through the kings and the priests who are following his kingdom so I'm going to challenge you today now I'm going to invite you to stand with me we're going to respond to the Lord in this moment First, I want to challenge you to pray like Joshua. I want you to pray like Joshua, who recognized in a moment, all of a sudden, no longer distracted by the battle lines, he saw the king, the commander of heaven's army before him, and he said, Lord, what do you want your servant to do? Can I just tell you today, church, this this is not just a word for the church as an organization. I believe this is a word that God wants to speak and make real and make practical in your life. So I want to challenge you to pray like Joshua. Lord, what do you want your servant to do? And secondly, I want to challenge you To say like John the kingdom of God has come near listen God has given you a voice he's given you an audience he's given you influence and it's a mandate on your life and on my life this year that we would be the proclaimers of that gospel now for you it might look different than it does for me it might not be a three-point outline You might not have an alliteration or five words that all start with the same first letter. It might be a conversation in the workplace. And for all of us, it starts in our home. But God has called you and he's called me to be the forerunners of the coming king. And to say, the kingdom of God is near. I want you to pray about that. Say, God, use me to be your mouthpiece in 2020. Use me to prepare the way of the Lord. You know, studies say that you got to hear something seven times before it sticks. So you, you might not lead somebody into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've tried to witness, and because they didn't get saved, you thought you failed. Your job's not to save anyone, church. Your job is to prepare the way of the Lord so that he can save them. So make up your mind today. To, I'm going I'm to pray like Joshua. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm your servant. And I'm going to say like John, the kingdom of God has come near. And finally, I want to challenge you to live like Jesus. Jesus said, I only do the things the Father tells me to. And when Jesus walked into a room, the kingdom of God showed up. God wants that to be the reality in your home, in your workplace, in your community. That when you show up, you bring the kingdom. Just like stepping off of an airplane in the deep south. You go, man. Man. There's something different here. The atmosphere is different. They talk different. When people get around you, they ought to say, you're not from here, are you? Because you reflect a different culture. So they're going to respond to the Lord in song.